Our scripture reading today from Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because he's a really honest judge, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That parable begins, that that section before the parable begins with these words, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Ought always to pray and not lose heart. We are talking about prayer. We're spending several weeks this summer talking about prayer. We're going to continue that process this week. You know, I got a text last week about a church sign here in Springfield. Does anybody else love church signs? I actually got a few texts in the past couple of weeks about specific church signs in Springfield. I'm going to focus on one of those. I love church signs. They're incredible. And if you too love reading church signs, this is probably the best place in America, if not the world, to live. But I got a text dictating a church sign that said this, prayer is the only call the government can't hear. Amen. That's good, isn't it? Prayer is the only call the government can't hear. Wait, that, that actually begins to break down pretty quickly, though, because that, I guess, would only apply to prayers that, that you keep in your head. Anyway, that's <laughs> beside the point. We're spending a couple of weeks talking about prayer. As we consider the teachings of Jesus on prayer in Luke chapter 11, we started this conversation last week with Luke's abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. So remember, in response to a disciple's request, Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. He offers them this model that they can use and that they can also build upon. And that prayer begins with an acknowledgement that the God we pray to is our Father. There is this intimate relationship that is made available between Creator and creation, which is actually quite incredible. To think that, when you slow down and think about the fact that God not only invites communication, creator inviting communication with creation, but that God also designed the world in such a way where we are not robots. We don't live in a world where everything is managed in sort of this cosmic control room, but we can actually converse with God, and that is meaningful conversation. In some ways, as we consider the Lord's Prayer, which we looked at last week and which we just prayed together a few moments ago, 
things in our world seem to, at least to some degree, rise and fall on prayer. This is why I say that. If, as we argued last week, we are shaped, we are being formed as we participate in prayer, then prayer is a hugely significant practice that we engage in because it's changing who we are, which then changes everything about how we interact with the world. And if, as we argued last week, when we utter a prayer like, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we pray that, if our minds are being opened and our hearts are being opened to new ways that we can enter into and participate in and ways that we can enact the kingdom of God here and now, that is an incredibly consequential prayer, if that is opening our minds to ways we can participate in the kingdom, that prayer, I believe, actually has power to change things, to shape the future to some degree. Prayer is a powerful means of communication with the Father that shapes us, and as it shapes us, it even shapes the world we live in. One of the remarkable things about this intimate relationship, this conversational relationship with the Father, is that prayer not only reveals if we trust the character of God, but engaging in the process of prayer actually deepens or increases our trust in the character of God as we get to know our Father in a more and more intimate way. And I think this is important, at least as I reflect on my own patterns of prayer, on my own prayer life, because I think often my hesitancy in prayer or the, the mental roadblocks that I face when it comes to consistent, life-changing prayer, my difficulty in prayer is that at times I can become cynical about God's character. Does God really care? Is God really listening to my personal prayers that I utter? I mean, is he really listening to my prayer? This morning, I'd like to consider that question in a little more detail to see what Jesus has to say about that topic as we continue reading Luke chapter 11, where we left off last week in verse 5. And he said to them, again, this is coming on the heels of the Lord's prayer, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up, And give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus uses this parable to make the point, to get his point across. Before we consider that point, before we work at interpreting and applying this little story, let's think about the hypothetical situation itself. Let's consider this little story. In this story, in this parable, we find three individuals. We have the main character who is hosting a traveler. 
extending hospitality to somebody on a journey who is in need. We have the host. Then we have that traveler, the guest in the host's home. We won't say too much about the traveler at this point, but the traveler, the guest in the home, is the source of the need in the story, which is going to be, become important near the end of our time today. The source of the need is this traveler. We have the host, the traveler, and then finally, the third individual. We have the friend of the host. So the host, individual one, has a traveler who arrives at his home, apparently unannounced, perhaps just before midnight. We assume it's unannounced anyway, because surely if the host knew that he was going to have a guest, he would have run down to the supermarket and made the proper preparations, right? The traveler arrives. The host has nothing to offer him. So what does he do? He has an idea. I've got a friend who lives just down the road. I'll run to my friend and see if I can get what I need. Now, this is the best part uh, of becoming friends with your actual neighbors, right? When you are in the middle of baking a cake, I've heard that anyway, I've never baked a cake, but when you're in the middle of baking a cake and you realize that you don't have an, uh, enough of an ingredient that you need, you can quickly run over to a neighbor and borrow some. Have any of you been there? Yeah? Some of you have. You've, you've made friends with your neighbors. That's great. We, we actually live just down the road from the Jacobs and the Cots, and you better believe that if I wake up in the morning and discover that we are out of coffee, I am not at all above making that call. Hey, can I borrow 47 grams of coffee today? <laughs> well, I guess there's too much specificity in that example to deny the authenticity of that statement. Uh, I can't claim that it's hypothetical at this point, I guess. So, so the host has a guest that arrives. He has nothing to offer the guest. So what does he do? He goes to his neighbor, a friend, asking if I can borrow some of the necessary provisions. Verse 7, do you have a friend like this? A friend of the host will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, to be fair, maybe if my request for 47 grams of coffee were made after midnight, that's exactly the response I would get. I mean, that sounds like a fairly normal response at this point. If you have an unexpected guest after midnight, after you're in your jammies, tucked into bed, you, you probably get it. Several years ago, upon re returning from a trip to Germany, Nanette and I discovered that the airline had lost our luggage for the second time this trip, which this was on the return, so it was okay because we were at home and we had everything we needed. But when our luggage finally arrived in Springfield, the airline, I won't mention the name, um, the airline decided to deliver that luggage to our front door after midnight on a Saturday night, which for many that's fine because many are up at midnight on Saturday night, but that's the middle of my work week, right? Needless to say, I wasn't thrilled with their timing. I, I understand the neighbor's response in this little parable. Oh, you, you have an unexpected guest? Well, that sounds like a personal problem to me. Maybe if you 
kept some extra stuff on hand, you wouldn't find yourself in this predicament. I know, this is a part of what it means to be an adult. You're prepared for the unexpected. This is the five P's of success. Proper planning prevents poor performance. That's from my upcoming leadership book that I'm getting ready to publish. So be, be, be on the lookout for that. I'm just joking. I'm not writing a book. It's midnight. Go home. Come back in the morning. I, I'm in bed. The kids are in bed. And if you wake the kids, things are going to get ugly pretty quickly. So Jesus is asking the disciples here, which of you has a friend like that? A friend who would respond in this way in your moment of need. I mean, it doesn't sound much like a friend. But even if that neighbor wouldn't get up to give you what you need based solely on your friendship, because of your boldness, because of your shameless and audacious persistence, eventually that cranky neighbor is going to get up Open the door and give you what you need. Now keep in mind, the story that Jesus is telling is all in the context of prayer. It's sort of a commentary on Christ's teaching on prayer from the first few verses, the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray in this way. Use this as a model to build upon in prayer. And then he moves on with this parable and says, and understand or approach that prayer like this, with persistence, audacious, shameless determination. This is how you should pray. Now, before we move on here from the beginning of the story, I think it's critical that we understand that this little parable is not describing God. God is not the sleepy and annoyed neighbor in the story. That's not the point. The, the point has to do with how we approach prayer, not with how God approaches us in prayer. God is not the neighbor saying, well, if I just give them what they want or what they need, maybe they will finally leave me alone and get off my back. In fact, I, th I think Jesus is making the exact opposite point in teaching his disciples about the character and nature of the Father. Because we go on to read this in verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Then he goes on, what father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, going back to the initial parable, if even the cranky, sleepy neighbor, who only answers out of selfishness to get the host off his back, if even he eventually answers the door, of course God is hearing 
and welcoming your prayers. So Jesus says, seek, ask, knock boldly, unapologetically, shamelessly, audaciously, persistently lift your prayers before the Father. There's a couple of additional questions I think we need to consider, though, as we seek to interpret and apply this little parable. The first one, what are we asking for? What is it that we are asking for? And it's an important question. Because often, we simply don't know what is best. Often, when it comes to petitionary prayers, we don't know what to ask for because we don't know what is best. This is one of the great challenges in petitionary prayers, prayers where we are asking God to grant or meet a specific request. Because it's quite possible, as we make a request to God, that if we had the entire picture, if we knew the future, we would understand that what we are asking for in that moment maybe isn't going to be best for us. Or what we are asking for in that moment would have unintended negative consequences. We don't know what to ask. In his book on prayer, Tim Keller wrote this, even the most godly Christians can't be sure what to ask for when we are enmeshed in difficulties and suffering. We don't always know what's best. You may remember that reference to the words of the Apostle Paul last week in Romans 8 where he speaks of the Spirit helping us in our weakness by interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. There are times when we are simply incapable of intelligible, articulate, technically precise prayers. There there are times when we don't have the words when we don't know what to ask because we don't know what is best, and when we simply don't know what to say in prayer. And all we can do maybe is muster a groan. And the Spirit can be working even in that. We often don't know what is best, and so we don't know what to ask or how to pray. I mean, I can think of specific instances in my life where I cried out, to God in prayer with a specific request, and I did so passionately, certain about what I wanted and what I thought I needed. And now years later, with the benefit of hindsight, I can see clearly, and I am so grateful that God didn't grant something that I was so sure that I wanted and that I thought I needed because it would have been disastrous. I can see that now, in, in the moment when I was making that request, blinded by my current situation, I didn't understand that. We don't always know what's best. And yet that doesn't mean that we don't intercede. It doesn't mean that we don't make specific requ- requests because while we can't gaze into the future, While we can't know the outcome of a situation as we input each possible contingency, we still understand that we have needs. We have needs that we can identify, specific needs. Needs that are causing us pain or or things that actually feel like hell in this moment. 
we are a needy people who experience lack. And Jesus, as he teaches us about prayer, seems to suggest that it is good, it is even appropriate to bring those prayers before the Lord. This is a part of relationship. This is a part of friendship. But again, what are we seeking? What are we asking for? If we don't always know what's best, one prayer, one request that we can be always be sure, is in line with God's heart for us. Most importantly, we are asking for God. We are asking for God's Spirit to know God more, to experience God more, to be filled with the Spirit of God more and more day after day. This is our primary request. I love the the prayer from the medieval mystic Julian of Norwich. She prayed this, God, of your goodness, give me yourself. You are enough for me, and anything less that I could ask for would not do you full honor. And if I ask anything that is less, I shall always lack something. But in you alone I have everything. God, give me yourself. This is the most worthwhile request we make. God, give me yourself. Help me make it through another day as we talked about last week in the Lord's Prayer. Give me your Holy Spirit. This is a request the Father will answer. The Father will lavish on you the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. How do we know this? How can we be assured of this? Well, because think of our earthly relationships, even imperfect, finite earthly fathers know how to give their children good gifts. If you have a child that asks for a fish, Jesus says, is the parent going to give them a serpent? If they ask for an egg, are they going to instead get a scorpion? Of course not. Of course good parents don't respond to a request from a child for something that is good and beneficial for that child. That They don't respond by giving them something that will harm them. And if even earthly fathers understand this, Jesus says, be assured that your heavenly father will not give you something harmful when you're asking for something good. And I think we could even take that a step further. Because again, in prayer, we don't always ask for what is good. Sometimes, this has been my experience, sometimes we ask for things that will harm us, thinking that it will be good for us. Sometimes we don't know what is good and what's bad in the moment. And so if we ask in prayer for a scorpion or a serpent, thinking that it's good, thinking that it's an egg or a fish, being blinded in that moment to the destruction that it will bring, blinded to the harm that it will cause, is our Heavenly Father going to give us that harmful, destructive thing just because we have asked for it? If we ask for a serpent thinking it's a fish, will we get it? 
Surely not. Perhaps this is important to keep in mind. In moments when we pray, lifting a request before our Father and don't seem to get what we have requested, we don't always know what's good and evil. We don't always know what to ask because we don't know what is best. The final question I want to consider is where do we go in times of need? Where do we go in times of need? We all experience need. First and foremost, I think we find Jesus instructing us to go to the Father. This is stressed throughout the passage. God is your good Father who cares for you. You can trust God's character. He isn't like the annoyed neighbor who responds just to get you off his back. You can trust the character of God. You may be tempted to become cynical in prayer, thinking it's unimportant, thinking it's ineffective, thinking you're just uttering these meaningless words that nobody but you is hearing. You can be tempted to become cynical in prayer, but Jesus says continue to ask. Continue to ask. Continue to seek. Continue to knock and the door will be opened. Even humans, in all of our sin, with all of our tendencies to get sucked into evil patterns, we still know how to give our children good gifts. And if even we can muster that, how much more will our Father give to his children good gifts? Namely, the gift of the Holy Spirit, mercy, peace, Salvation, the gift of the kingdom, which we will look at in more detail next, next week. Trust the character of God. Continue to lift your prayers before the Father. And perhaps there's one other subtle point being made, one that's right on the surface in the parable. And that is simply that many times it is our human friends who will be there to meet the needs we have. This is what friends do. Friends welcome a traveler into their home, even if it is just before midnight and you haven't had the chance to acquire the necessary provisions to make for a comfortable stay. Friends figure it out. Friends get up and answer the door at midnight to lend 47 grams of coffee to an irresponsible shopper who forgot to make the trek across town. Kevin, I promise I won't come knocking at midnight for coffee. Maybe at 7 a.m., though. Friends help one another in time of need. So I think the application at this point is twofold. In genuine community, we must get to a place of vulnerability that, that when we experience need, we are willing to share that need with our friends. It's difficult for the community to respond and to help when you are in time of need if they simply don't know what the need is. Secondly, we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus and as good friends to do what we can, even at great personal inconvenience to assist those in the community who have needs. 
But again, this is all said in relation to prayer. This parable serves to instruct the disciples concerning prayer. And I think part of the point in this parable is the fact that the host, the first individual we were introduced to in the parable, the host is knocking at the door, knocking shamelessly, persistently, audaciously knocking and asking for help, not for himself. Why is he asking for help? Why is he waking up his neighbor? Because he has an unexpected traveler. It's arrived at his house. He has nothing to offer them. The request is about somebody else, not his own need. And I think maybe this too is a model for our prayers of petition. We should be a people, a community who are bearing one another's burdens literally and physically when we can. When we can meet the need, we do so. When we can't meet the need physically, we always share that burden in prayer. If I know that somebody in the community has a need, I'm going to do what I can to help meet the need, but I am always going to lift that up in prayer. Focus my prayers of petition not on me. I have needs. I have things that I desire, very real felt needs. And that's okay to lift those to the Father as well. But my focus is not on me. It's on how can I share the weight of the burden that my neighbor is carrying. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And in addition to giving them this model to build prayers from, he teaches them about the importance of persistence in prayer. He says, be like that friend who just will not stop pounding at the door at midnight. Ask your father. Continue to pray. Develop patterns of persistence. And God will shape your desires. Is God always going to give you everything you ask for? Of course not. Hopefully not, because sometimes we ask for things that would cause harm. But we ask. We develop persistence, shamelessness. We continue to ask and seek and knock. And so we pray as Julian of Norwich prayed, God of your goodness, give me yourself. You are enough for me, and anything less that I could ask for would not do you full honor. And if I ask anything that is less, I shall always lack something. But in you alone, I have everything.